We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we focus on how our appreciation of Judaism influences our understanding of pop culture and how what we read and watch in pop culture influences our understanding of Judaism. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. And today we are talking about the Emmy Award winning Apple TV show, Ted Lasso. You may have heard of it. Apparently it's what everybody's talking about. I'm not sure why. Mike, tell us about Ted Lasso. Oh, we are going to have a conversation about this one, Jesse. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so Ted Lasso is, uh, like you said, a, a, a show uh, on Apple TV Plus uh, starring uh, Jason Sudeikis. Uh, it is now in its second season. It's uh, about to wrap up its second season, uh, which is a little bit longer than its first season. Uh, and already confirmed third season where, yes. you know, the show is so successful that uh, reports are that Jason Sudeikis is getting $1 million per episode for season three. Uh, in my opinion, well-deserved, but that's another conversation. Uh, and uh, uh, But I believe that all of the actors and writers got uh, big pay bumps for, for season three. Um, so it's uh, we're currently in season two, uh, and season two is uh, slightly lengthier than season one. After the success of season one, um, Apple uh, ordered not only a second season, but ordered additional episodes after the second season had already been written. Some of those episodes within the second season have been quite controversial uh, and of um, uh, arguable quality. Uh, but the basic premise of the show is this. Jason Sudeikis plays uh, the eponymous hero of the show, Ted Lasso, who is an American uh, college football coach, uh, not even a top tier college football coach, who is plucked from obscurity to uh, become the head coach of a British professional soccer, I mean, football team, uh, uh, AFC Richmond. Uh, and he goes there with his uh, assistant coach, Coach Beard, uh, and uh, they, they take over the team. We learn in the first season uh, that his presence in, uh, in England, his presence at, at AFC Richmond um, is a ruse by the team's new owner, Rebecca, uh, played by uh, the great Hannah Waddingham, uh, to get back at her ex-husband who had left her the team, who loved being the owner of that Richmond uh, football team. Uh, it was a ploy uh, of hers to basically destroy the franchise. Uh, and so she brought Ted Lasso over uh, with the expectation uh, that he would destroy the franchise. Turns out that that's not what happened, uh, or at least not yet what happened. Uh, and, uh, and she, along with just about everybody else, uh, falls in love with uh, Ted Lasso, who is um, endlessly positive and, uh, and, and charming, even if not uh, ultimately a, uh, a, a successful uh, football coach uh, in this new context. Um, so that's basically where we are. Uh, second season picks up where the first season left, leaves off. The, uh, the uh, soccer team uh, 
is uh, demoted. Apparently, that's a thing that happens in uh, British professional uh, football. Which is actually, I think, the coolest part of soccer, which I am not a fan of, uh, but that if you can't, like I'm a beloved Baltimore Orioles fan, right? You can't intentionally tank. If you're bad, too bad constantly, then you get kicked out of the premier league and, and go to, you know, the lesser levels, essentially the right, minor, the, the leagues. minor leagues. Right. Yeah. Uh, that would be an amazing thing for American professional sports to just try out uh, to see if that might raise the stakes a little bit. I, I think that's a, I also agree that that was a, a, a unique quirk uh, that I found to be, both charming and, and really intriguing about uh, British professional uh, soccer. There's a lot I've learned about <laughs> about uh, British life and, and British uh, professional sports in this. For example, I had no idea that the British called uh, a soccer field a pitch. Did you know that? I knew that because uh, the movie Fever Pitch uh, with um, uh, Drew Barrymore um, and... Um, the, the the you know the the, the Tonight Show host oh, Jimmy, um, Fallon? Jimmy Fallon uh, which is about being obsessed with uh, your beloved losers of the Boston Red Sox actually based on a book um, that was originally about a um, soccer team an obsessed football fan that's why it's called Fever Pitch oh I see what they did there because pitch also works in baseball uh, you see what they did and American uh, viewers wouldn't watch a movie about uh, soccer yeah but they uh, have anyway they haven't met ted lasso apparently <laughs> apparently not um uh so um the second season picks up where the first season left up, leaves off uh uh afc has been uh um afc richmond has been uh demoted uh and uh uh its star player who had uh left for uh, rival uh manchester um has uh is historically has, an actual good team right yeah. manchester mm-hmm. city yeah Manchester City um, uh, has uh, has also fallen on hard times at the beginning of the of the second season, uh, and uh, the uh, veteran player, uh, captain of the of the team, Royal Roy Kent, had just retired, uh, and so we're dealing with the aftermath of that. Uh, he becomes involved with um, social media influencer Keeley. Uh, who uh, uh, becomes very close friends with uh, with Rebecca. Anyway, lots going on in the second season as well. Um, Jesse, here's what I think uh, about the show. And then I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it because I know you, you didn't feel quite the same as I did about it. Um, I started watching the show- Or the rest of America, apparently, <laughs> who love it. Uh, listen, I think, I think that there are mixed feelings about it. Like a lot of, like a lot of things, right? When, when something, you know, kind of uh, uh, skyrockets to popularity, there's there's always, you know, the inevitable backlash uh, by, and, and in, in particular in this show, you know, among people who, you know, just just kind of want to be cynical about things. And I think that that's really the point um, of, of Ted Lasso is uh, this is a uh, good-hearted and good-natured show um, about a person that uh, is not really an anti-hero. I mean, as we see in second season, he has, demons he has problems we get hints of that in the first season as well um so he's not a flawless character by any stretch of the imagination he's kind of like ned flanders uh but mustache and all uh and you know as opposed to the simpsons where 
you, know, you kind of are annoyed by Ned Flanders um, and you kind of join in with Homer and in, in sort of rooting for Flanders to fail. Uh, in Ted Lasso, you're really rooting for Flanders to succeed. You're rooting for, for Ted Lasso to succeed um, because he's a, he's a good guy who believes in the goodness of other people and tries to get, um, uh, tries to bring out the best in them. You know, he says it uh, to uh, the journalist who's trying to do a hatchet job on him. And he says it twice, right? I don't care if my players win or lose. Um, I don't care if the team wins or loses. My job as a coach is to bring out the absolute best in, in the players and, and in the team and to help them be the best possible versions of themselves. And he says that with, with, with all sincerity, right? No, no cynicism at all, no sarcasm at all. Um, he's, uh, I think, really unique in the characters that are on TV, Ned Flanders aside. Um, you know, uh, the, if you look at the spate of you know top shows of the last probably 20 years um you don't really have lead characters like ted lasso anymore you have lots of anti-heroes you have your walter whites and you have your tony sopranos is uh but you don't have uh characters like ted lasso who are just kind of like thoroughly kind and and good-natured um and uh, and that you know by virtue of their good-heartedness um, they bring out good in other people, uh, which happens in, in the course of the show. It's very optimistic. And I think that in addition to being, you know, I think well-produced, well-written, uh, smart, uh, um, and funny, I think it's, you know, genuinely funny in, in a lot of ways, um, it was the right show for the right moment. You know, we're in a, a particularly dark period in, in history, um, with the pandemic and, and so many other overlapping crises, um, people were were looking for rays of sunshine. I mean, it's why you saw you saw in John Krasinski's you know uh, some good news show that was uh, uh, very popular for a little while there at the beginning of the pandemic, right? And this kind of took that place, scratched that itch for for a lot of people. Um, and I think for good reason. I, I I don't know if it would have been as celebrated or as successful had it not dropped. Um, at the height of the COVID pandemic, maybe it would have, um, but uh, but but I'm glad it came out when it did, and it's been you know sort of salve for weary souls uh, that that I've felt like I've needed during the pandemic. But let, what do you think about it, Jesse? I am definitely in the minority, uh, certainly uh, compared to the uh, um, voters of the Emmys. Um, I think it was a fine show. I did not understand all the buzz that it's like the greatest show of all time. Part of it is, I think, Mike, you and I, I have talked about this. I don't know if anybody says it's the greatest show of all time. I mean, time. There, there are shows that I would have chosen for um, Emmys over the show. Um, I also think, Mike, you and I have talked about this before. Th there's been a real evolution of what comedy is. Um, and, you know, for this to fall under comedy, where it's more of like a dramedy right like it's a comedy almost because jason sudeikis is a really funny guy and he plays this caricature of an individual but i actually don't think this is meant to be a comedic role for him it, it, it's it's funny in that he plays a sort of fish out of water american uh you know football coach coaching a, a soccer team doesn't really know the rules of soccer doesn't really know what life is like in Great Britain, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it a comedy. I also thought, you know, the the initial beginning of the show, 
um, I, I thought was like tired in the sense that I was like, oh, they are stealing the plot of Major League, right? Well, to me, I'm a huge baseball fan, not a soccer fan. One of the greatest movies of all time, one of the greatest baseball movies of all time right. is basically about that, right? The right. evil like ex-wife of the owner of the team hires somebody to intentionally tank this season just to, like get revenge so she could do what she wants with the team that is the premise of of the show and then the other thing that i was really weary of was ted lasso was a character that that jason sudeikis like use for commercials right yeah. to like pr- promote nbc sports coverage of, of soccer and so i really wondered uh you know i've seen some of those snl sketches that have turned into movies and it's like it's really difficult to turn a seven minute sketch into a 90 or 100 minute film and make it still funny so i sort of wondered uh would they be able to do this uh which is where some of it turns into a drama rather than a, a, a comedy. All that being said, that's why I was really weary of the show and thought the first season was fine, but I wasn't like totally obsessed and, and in love with it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you're raising a really good point. I think that the, the line between uh, drama or tragedy and comedy um, has, has always been very blurry. I think, you know, at least for the very best comedies, right? You know the the classic uh, symbol of of uh, of the stage, right? Are the are the tragedy masks and the comedy masks, right? And um and they're really kind of two sides of the same coin. So I think that always, you know, the 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 best comedy has its place in tragedy, and it's just you know tragedy plus timing and maybe and maybe a, a happier ending, right? But um you know the I think it's true, you know, if you think of like some of the best, you know, kind of comic actors, comic performances, uh, comic vehicles, they all are kind of rooted in in characters that have a, a, at least a touch of sadness, like something going on underneath the surface. I mean, think of Robin Williams, right, being a, a really, you know, classic example of that. You know, think I think of like one of the best Robin Williams performances, right, of uh, uh, the, the genie in Aladdin, right? Um, the, the genie is actually kind of a sad character and he brings that pathos to the character, right? He's, he's, he's trying so hard to make Aladdin his friend because he's so lonely, right? And he, and he knows that ultimately he's just, uh, he's just a servant, right? So anyway, you have that here in, in Ted Lasso too. He's, he's, he's funny and he's kind and that um, makes for good comedy in the context of the show but underneath the surface and the second season really explores this underneath the surface it's not so much that there's darkness but there's definitely lots of sadness and i i I started appreciating the show more the second half of of, uh the second season um especially um with uh the episode uh that that we just watched episode 10 uh, of right. season two, um, I think Robin Williams is a and, really. And by the way, and by the way, uh, spoilers you know, spoiler ahead. alert uh, for everybody, and spoiler alerts for me. I have not seen yeah. the latest episode that Jesse has seen, so so, uh, so, so Mike, so, cover your ears. <laughs> yeah, uh, but um, the you know I think the Robin Williams comparison is a good one. Not Robin Williams in the parts that he's played, but Robin Williams, uh, the actor himself. Uh, right. I gave a uh, Cole Nidre sermon uh, after he committed suicide and took his own life and, and, you know, really trying to understand how was it that somebody who caused so much joy to so many people 
could have so much pain inside him. And what we see in the second half of season two was that um, Ted Lasso ends up having a panic attack uh, and he ends up having, you know, a, a breakdown and goes to, to therapy. And that is actually where um, I, I think the show really turns a corner for, for the positive. I understand and appreciate what you're saying, Mike, that the world may have needed the positive, nice, good-hearted, kind Ted Lasso when um, the world was had gone to shit, right? When, when in the middle of a pandemic, like the earliest days of the pandemic, when life was so scary and we didn't know what the future would hold for us or for society, uh, we appreciated the kindness that that character portrayed. Um, I found it suspect because that didn't seem real and that's not what we were going um, going on in the world. Uh, even you and I, right, who are in a field where we serve other people, where we pastorally are there for others, um, we are not happy-go-lucky all the time and we know that it's actually not healthy. Therapy is important. You, you can't bottle up your feelings and your emotions. Um, and I think that that is what Ted Lasso had done up until this point when eventually um, there are cracks in that bottle uh, and um, he shows his, his true self. Uh, he can't hide or suppress some of that angst or anxiety um, that, that, that he's feeling. And, and I think that that's for the positive. Right. I mean, the, the first season, you know, really asked a question and, and I actually gave a, a sermon about this um, around the time that the first season was was uh, still new. You know, I, I, I kind of like think that the um, that the opening credit sequence uh, where Ted goes and sits in the stadium and the you know, the stadium starts to like flip, right? The, the seat colors start to flip and the graffiti sure. starts to get uh, uh, wiped off. And the question is, you know, can- See, that's the difference between you and me. I always press the button that says skip intro. <laughs> As my kids say, skip intro. Um, <laughs> they always skip the intro. I like the intros. And, you know, I, you know, I think that the good people who made the show deserve to have their, uh, uh, you know, credits uh, credits seen. Fair, uh, fair, fair. But, but no, but I think that, you know, the, the imagery of that opening sequence is I think the, um, the, the question that's being asked with Ted Lasso, right? Can kindness be transformative? And, um, uh, and can a person be, you know, I think that what you're asking is, you know, can a person be totally giving of kindness without, uh, without, uh, having anything to kind of fill up their own cup too, right? So, um, uh, you know, without taking care of themselves. And in Judaism, uh, right, we find that, uh, our, ritually speaking, no act is, is truly selfless. One of the reasons that we uh, are told with regards to our obligation of kavod hamet, of honoring those who have passed away, that we bury our loved ones because that is the only truly selfless act, that we know that this is something we do for somebody else that they cannot do uh, for, for us. They cannot return the favor and they cannot do for themselves. Where even when we do a mitzvah, even when we do a good deed, even when we help somebody else, there is a bit of a selfish nature to it. It makes us feel good. Uh, it, it gives us a bit of a, a, a high 
when we see uh, that we are helping others feel good. Yeah, I mean, I would argue in that respect, uh, uh, burying the dead is not a totally selfless act either. <laughs> Um, because it, you know, does provide benefit, uh, to the, to the more, I guess it's selfless, if, it's selfless, like if you hate doing it, <laughs> but, um, but I, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a really good point. Right. Um, you know, uh, but I would say that for Ted, right. He's not, his kindness is not selfless, right? Like he, I think, um, uh, feels like he gains, from being kind to other. He doesn't necessarily gain materially. I mean, although he, he does, the, the therapist points that out to him in second season. It's like, would you coach for free? And he says, yes. She says, okay, but you don't, right? Right. He gets paid for it. Um, so there's already that material benefit for, for him, for him being kind, but it also, you know, his belief is that what goes around comes around. Right. Uh, so that if you put that out into the world, that's what will ultimately come back to you. Now, that's a premise that generally speaking proves to be true in his context, except for in his own personal life. Right. His uh, his, you know, uh, his wife, I think, is uh, leaves him in part because she's weary of his relentless optimism um, and uh, and, you know, almost insufferable kindness. And the people that, you know, the one closest to him can no longer really stand him because of it. Um, but generally speaking, right, the rest of the show, you know, warms up all around him. Um, all these people, including the cynical journalist, you know, uh, warms up around him because uh, because of his uh, good nature. And, and And I think, right, they are skeptical of him and his good nature. Uh, which is, I think, why I was, truthfully, at, at first uh, as well. You know, you're wondering, what is his deal? What is his agenda by just being so, as you said, Ned Flanders-y, Ned Flanders-ish? Right. But isn't it possible, you know, and this is, I think, one of the challenges of the second season, too, uh, in, in trying to go deeper into his psyche and, and, and see that there's, you know, a lot of uh, trauma there. You know, I think about um, the Dark Knight, right, where Alfred uh, says to Bruce, you know, so, some men just want to watch the world burn, right? When Bruce says, you know, criminals aren't uh, aren't, aren't so complicated, you just got to figure out what they're after. Alfred says, like, maybe this guy you don't understand, right? He might just want to blow stuff up and enjoy that. Isn't it also possible that there are some people that just want to be kind? Right, that that don't have anything like any kind of deeper motivation. Yes, any, any abs all, absolutely. You know, motive. I know people like that in my life that are just, just I, 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 absolutely. But you know why Judaism speaks to me in a way that I don't think Christianity ever could. It is uh, right. We don't believe in, in the sort of messianic Jesus who seems to be this perfect entity. Right. You look at Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Rachel and Leah, they are flawed individuals. Moshe is flawed. And that's the beauty of it, that there's no such thing as a perfect person, that even those who do good in Torah also are deceptive and, and do wrong, that they're not perfect all the time. That is true for us, right? That is true for rabbis. That is true for teachers. That is true for educators. That is true for politicians. Uh, even those who try and strive to make this world a better place are imperfect at times in the way we strive to do so. And that is comforting 
in our constant efforts to be the best versions of our, ourselves and, and constantly do Cheshbon HaNefesh. Uh, that's why second half of season two gets to me when you see the true Ted Lasso, because I actually think it's impossible for somebody to say, the world is great. It's all good. We're going to be kind to each other. What, what does Ted Lasso say? Like be a goldfish, be a goldfish. you know, you know yeah. that that's um, have, a, have an eight second memory, right? That, that yeah. that's not life. Uh, and and, and, I, right. and I and it's and it's and it's advice that I think he tries to follow himself, and you can see how problematic it is for him. Exactly, exactly, um, because he ultimately doesn't have an eight-second memory because that's not because um, we're not goldfish, right? That's not how humans work, right? Um, I want to bring up a, another question for you, Mike, if that's okay. Uh, one yeah. of the supporting characters the you know hot shots um star uh jamie jamie uh, tart do 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 jamie tart do 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 okay uh jamie uh was on afc richmond uh really bullies players he, he was a, it was a star right and yeah. but as a result he was a diva and thought he was above the rest of the team maybe because from a skill set perspective he was Ends up playing on on, on a, man- a primo a primo don yeah <laughs> uh, ends up what what is the masculine form of diva a div divo divo um, he ends up uh, playing for Manchester City and then we see in season two spoiler alerts uh, he's no longer on Manchester City and and talks to Ted Lasso about returning to AFC Richmond um, right. and uh, Ted Lasso isn't sure if that's the right fit and this only comes to life because a video of their uh, conversation goes viral and the team is upset and there are different people upset. And it's a real question of the different aspects of Chuva. Uh, there is the one aspect of asking for forgiveness, which we see um, Jamie trying to do. It's questionable of, of how genuine it is. But the other aspect of Chuva which we've all wrestled with during these Yamin Norim, during the season of repentance, is being willing to forgive, which his teammates struggle to do. Yeah, uh, it's a really great question. I, I don't want to answer it without bringing up my my favorite Jamie Tart scene uh, from the show, which is in the first season. Um, Keely comes up to Ted and Rebecca and says sort of randomly, would you rather be a lion or a panda? And Ted kind of characteristically, predictably says, you know, of course I'd want to be a panda. Uh, Rebecca, in, in the ensuing debate about this, Rebecca says, you know, the only obvious and right answer is to be a lion, which is clearly the right answer for her to give. Um, and then meanwhile, Jamie Tart uh, walks into the, stumbles into the conversation and they ask him, would you rather be a lion or a panda? And he says, I'm me. Why would I want to be anybody else? And, and Ted says, you know, uh, I don't think you realize how psychologically healthy that answer is, right? Um, and I talked about that on Yom Kippur. I said, you know, what, what Yom Kippur reminds us is that, that you know, um, that we have an opportunity to say, I'm me, right? God to say, you're you. I don't want you to be anybody else. Um, but of course, the, you know, the shadow side of that, which is true for Jamie, is that it, it makes him a, a total egomaniac. Now, we see... Uh, later in the second season, um, a little bit of his own trauma and his own pain that may have 
made him that way, right? He's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a shield in a way uh, for an abusive relationship that, uh, that, that he has with his own father. Absolutely. Um, uh, and so, you know, listen, uh, quite often, um, you know, all of our, you know, those of us who are traumatized um, uh, end up, you know, uh, um, putting that back out in the world in, in, um, in, in harmful, can do that in, in harmful ways. Um, so I, listen, I think that, uh, that you know, the, the, uh, one of the challenges I have with season two um, is that it has at least so far seem to you know smooth over uh um a lot of the potential and, and ongoing conflicts that are present in the show so you know the the show kind of deals with the drama around jamie coming back to the team um but then sort of drops it right that uh, that that in, uh, unless there's something i haven't seen yet in episode in, in episode 10 um you know uh uh there is some uh, um, turmoil around Jamie coming back, but ultimately it looks like the team more or less has accepted him. Now there's one other dimension of it, which is that um, he starts to be, uh, he starts to become kind of mediocre, right? Because he becomes a more of a team player in an attempt to uh, be a balchuva, to use your language. Um, but it actually robs him of you know, the thing that made him special, which is that you got to be a, at least a little bit selfish to be extraordinary. Um, and so Roy Kent helps him kind of discover that, right? Be, be, a, be an asshole some of the time, right? Selectively be an asshole um, when it benefits the rest of the team. Um, but, you know, we don't really see the conflict kind of resurfacing in a way that, that, that presents the, 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 problematic dynamics that he had brought to the team in the first place so it looks like what the show is suggesting anyway is that as far as the team concerned he's 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 done his chuva um and and it's worked and ultimately the team has accepted him it may have taken them a little while to but ultimately the team accepted him and i think that we have the right according to jewish tradition to um uh to reserve our judgment about whether somebody's a Balchuva until, like Maimonides says, they're in the same position that they were in before and make, an, and make a different kind of choice, right? So, and, and that also means, by the way, that no one is ever really ever a, a, a Balchuva because, you know, our, our lives are, 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 open, are open questions, right? Are, are unresolved, right? We're, we're perpetually have the possibility of being in the same position we were in before and, and the choice we make tomorrow may be different than the choice we made today. So just because I did something better this time around doesn't mean necessarily that the next time I'm faced with the same choice, I'm going to make a different, I'm going to make the, uh, uh, the, the right decision. So, you know, I, I'm, I question whether or not one can ever fully be a ball chuva. We're all kind of in the process of doing chuva. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a really uh, controversial statement because if, true tshuva is never really possible, then it begs the question uh, what we've just finished, right? What, what we've constantly gone through and what we, the, this process of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur that we've just completed. Um, is it that, and why have this season of repentance if what you're saying tshuva is an ongoing 
process, which I agree, it's a lifelong process. There's a reason that in the Amidah, we beat our chest three times daily. There's a reason that in Mariv, right, minutes after Ne'ilah ends, we still say, forgive us for we have sins, pardon us for we have transgressed. Um, But we're still given, maybe even if tshuva is not fully attainable because it's it's an ongoing process, it's constant. Um, we're still given fresh starts to continue to strive to do tshuva. Yeah, I think that that's right. I think that, um, you know, what, what Yom Kippur ultimately reminds us is that we don't have forever, right? Um, and so, you know, if the, 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 you know, on the one hand, having the constant ongoing need for tshuva that it's a, that's a continual process um can be deflating uh and you know it can it, it can uh lead a person to kind of you know be resigned to well you know i if i can't ever if i can't ever you know you know fully uh affect repair or, or or become a better person like what's the point right like in in the talmud um alicia benabuya uh, says, you know, uh, after he gets kicked out of heaven um, and uh, hears a divine voice saying, you know, everybody is capable of uh, tshuva except for Alicia Benabuya. He says, well, if I'm going to be thrown out of, you know, the, the heavenly realm, then I might as well enjoy this world too, right? And so we can we can have that sense. So I think That's what basically the premise of Kevin Smith's dogma, by the way. Yeah, right. So I think that what Yom Kippur reminds us is, um, first of all, that we that we don't have forever, that at some point the book is going to be closed and we don't know when that is going to be. Um, and so we, we have a responsibility to continually keep working at it. And if we don't have a, a, an awareness that our time might be limited, we might always put off to tomorrow what we need to do today. Um, so I think that that's, you know, that's the utility of the high holidays is, is to say, you, you got to do it now. I think right? that's a really important, right? We don't want to end the, our lives. We don't, we don't want to leave this world um, having things left unsaid. Uh, we, we don't want to leave this world with relationships that have not been repaired. Um, we, right, we, we talk about not being um, better but but being the best version of ourselves. And that means, I appreciate what you said, that tshuva goes hand in hand with uh, whether we are written and sealed in the book of life, because eventually we will not be. Whether that's tomorrow, whether that's a year from now, whether that's decades from now, uh, death is a part of life and we all die sometimes tragically and far too soon. But the idea of working towards tshuva is so that when we leave this world, uh, be it uh, on our deathbeds after living a full long life or God forbid, tragically and suddenly uh, way too young. Um, we, th- th- there's been nothing left unsaid um, and um, we, we've done our best to right wrongs uh, and to leave this world um, with relationships that will ensure that um, we are bound up in the bond of life. Right. And, and relationships are really key. And I think that that's, you know, kind of key to Jamie Tart's arc in, in, in Ted Lasso is that he, he has to come to the recognition that, you know, no matter how good you are of a soccer player, 
you can't be successful without a team, right? Um, you know, and all of the great, uh, all of the great uh, athletes uh, uh, and you know actors, really the the greats in any profession, um, you know, have to come to that realization at at one point or another. Right, um, you know, the, the best actor is uh, is is no good unless the ensemble that he or she works with, the crew and the directors, right, are are all um, uh, working together as a team. Right, um, you know, when when Phil Jackson uh, was brought on to coach the Bulls, right, he had he had what he calls in his book the Michael Jordan problem. Right, which is that Michael Jordan was this extraordinary. We talked about the last dance, right? Yeah, uh, go back uh, to our, our previous episodes, check that out, right. check out the uh, backlog. Um, so you know, so the Michael Jordan problem is that you had this extraordinarily talented player who you know was a ball hog, right? And the and the coach before uh, uh Bill Jackson, at least in Bill Jackson's um analysis, um, you know, kind of let him let Michael Jordan be Michael Jordan, which is good to a point because you don't want to stop Michael Jordan from being Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan, you know, doesn't win championships. So the team doesn't win championships. Um, if the only player on the, uh, on the court that matters is Michael Jordan. Right. So, so Jamie Tart has to realize that. And I think that that's, you know, that's a, another way in which the show, I think kind of um, uh, gives um, an important without being overly preachy life lesson. You know that uh, that 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 you know as good as Jamie Tart is, he's nothing unless he has the support of a team, and uh, and and which also means that he has to support the team, right? He has to give other people their moments to shine. He has to enable other people to score goals, right? Um, the team has to work together because uh, you know one finger can't lift a pebble. That's a really great analogy for when we talk about uh, Jewish community as well. Right, that um, what you and I have had this conversation before. As we've adapted uh, what community looks like during pandemic, when for a number of months you and I were leading Zoom services and not meeting in person with our congregations, we were left wondering what value will community have? What need will people have for in-person community uh, when we can gather again? And I think what you just said is, is spot on. Um, that's, that's the essence of Jewish community. You, right. It's like the, the old saying that you can't be Jewish on a deserted Island, that you need community, uh, in order to understand and appreciate your Judaism. It's, it's not about, uh, theology and belief, but practice and Jewish life and living comes from community. Yeah. I, I might put it a little bit differently. You know, I, I think that you can be Jewish on a desert Island, but I think that it's, um, it, it it's much it's it's much harder or or much less meaningful to be Jewish on a desert island. But, I would say it's not what Judaism is supposed to be, right? And the the you know the flip of that is you know in some ways it's hard to be Jewish in community, right? I mean, uh, you know we, we lead we lead congregations. It's not always easy to be in community with other people, right? You have, you know, the person sitting next to you in shul, you know, is breathing too heavy, right? Uh, he keeps talking to you during the amida. Uh, uh, you know, there, the, there's, um, uh, somebody's being noisy, whatever it is, right. That's, that's the simple thing the, you know, the, uh, somebody double dipped at Kiddush, uh, in non COVID times. Um, right. That's, and that's like, that's like the base level stuff. And then you have like 
committee meetings? Come on. You know, it's hard to be in community with other people. And yet, you know, in part because it's hard, that's why it's so much more meaningful to, um, uh, to, to be Jewish that way, right? The, 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 the good stuff gets done in committee. Um, it doesn't get done by one person kind of soaring on their own. Rabbi uh, David Wolpe talks about this. Now, like, that's the difference between when people say they're spiritual but not religious. You know, um, uh, anybody can be spiritual, right? But it takes a certain kind of commitment and sense of responsibility uh, to other people um, to, to, to engage in, um, in religious life, which has rules and boundaries and um, uh, requirements for engaging with other people. Um, of course, it's harder than just being spiritual. It's also, you know, a lot more meaningful. Right, 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 right. Um, and so maybe that is, is the lesson. While I was skeptical of Ted Lasso uh, as a show and, and still, you know, find it fine. Uh, I, I think the lesson that it teaches us is the importance of team, the importance of community. Um, and with that in mind, any last thoughts, Mike? Yeah, the, you know, there's uh, this one, it's almost like a throwaway line in, in season two, but it, um, and I think that it's actually quoting from, from somebody else, and I don't know who off the top of my head, but Ted uh, kind of, uh, you know, finishes uh, uh, talking to Rebecca, and there may be some other people in the, in, in the office, he like walks out, and then he walks back in and says, oh, and uh, do as the man says, and make today, go ahead and make today your masterpiece. And that's, first of all, like a very Ted Lasso thing to say, even though I think he didn't make up that line. Um, but it also, I think, is a very Jewish thing to say. Uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel in his last uh, interview with uh, NBC's Carl Stern in, in 1972 says something similar, right? Carl Stern says that, you know, I want to give you one opportunity to, um, to share a message with young people. And he says, he says, here's what I want to say to young people, right? First of all, um, uh, Never forget that there's meaning behind the absurdity of the world, that every deed matters, that, that we can each of us do our share in ways large and small to, uh, to redeem the world, um, and that we are the artists of our own life, right? That we, we are constantly in the process of making a work of art that is our life. Um, which means every decision, every action, every inaction, every statement, every moment of quiet, every, uh, every day, um, every year um, are brushstrokes on the canvas of, of the life that we're living. Um, and what do you want that picture to look like at the end of the day? Right? Uh, it's, a it's a beautiful thought. Um, that's actually a quote uh, that, that he, he mentions. That's a quote from real life quote from coach John Wooden. Was, right, you know, UCLA coach, right, right, arguably, right. He was the UCL, UCLA Bruins coach, arguably uh, one of the best, uh, if not the best, NCAA uh, college coaches of all time. He he won ten uh, national championships in a twelve-year period as head coach of the Bruins, um, and I, I think that message is really important. It's not make your life a masterpiece, but it's make today. Make today your master. Right. And yeah. what that tells us is exactly what you said is that that means that every day you're given a blank canvas. 
And every day is a, an opportunity, just as we say, each and every morning, uh, we thank God for the pure souls that we wake up with. Every day is a new opportunity for fresh start and new opportunity to, uh, doesn't matter uh, if we colored outside the lines. Uh, does it doesn't matter, you know, what we painted yesterday. Today's a new opportunity for a masterpiece. Amen. 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 Well, uh, check out Ted Lasso. Let us know what you think. Uh, and uh, do as the man says and make today your masterpiece. Until next time, I'm Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. Take care. <laughs>